and we ask that your word would inform us, transform us, and direct and guide us. And thank you that when we leave this place, we'll be able to say we know we have come together to experience your presence in a powerful way in the blessed community. And so be glorified, be honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's a joy to be with y'all again. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy uh, about the opportunity to share with you. Um, some of y'all looking at me and, and you're like, did he get the memo? Um, you know, we, 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 are, we're, we're, we dress down here. You, why? And it's hot. You know, just sometimes it's just easier to just pull it right off the hanger when you get it from the dry cleaners and just go and stuff. Um, so, you know, just pray my strength and pray I don't fall off from heat stroke. Um, the other thing is uh, I want to thank Caitlin because um, she also just made sure that I parked in the right spot and uh, helped to move my car. And uh, otherwise I would have been running forever. I will run to go get my car. <laughs> and so uh, thank you. Thank you, Caitlin. Um, so let's look at Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. Anybody here love the word of God? Now, as you're turning to Exodus chapter 13, I always forget to say this, but let me just say it now before I forget. Because I, if I don't say it at the beginning, I'll forget and then I'll mention it somewhere in the middle of the service and, and then people will be confused, but I'm black. And... I come from a, a preaching tradition um, that is not necessarily totally black, it's influenced by my ethnicity, but one of the things that's helpful about my um, ethnic ecclesiastical influences is that when I'm preaching, I actually preach faster when people talk back to me and say amen. If I'm preaching and people go totally silent, I will think it's because I'm not making any sense, which makes me preach longer. And I've been known to preach for several hours. I'm so you're laughing, I'm serious. So let's uh, practice, just say amen. Okay, so if stuff makes sense to you, you can say amen, that's what's up, all right, keep talking. Uh, shut up is actually a good thing to say. It's like bad, bad, when Michael Jackson made bad good. So if you say, shut up, I'll be like, yes, okay, good. All right? Amen. Exodus 13 and 17. Uh, Pastor Yuli, I want you to know that that illustration you used with the loop and the knitting. My grandmother was a knitter too. And so I'm, I'm, I just wanted to let you know, the, the next time I use that, I'm going to give you credit. The second time I use it, I'm going to say, the spirit woke me up at two in the morning and showed me some yarn and a knit. And I just want you to know that God is going to close every loop. Yes. Right. <laughs> Exodus 13. And when you have it, go to verse 17. And uh, all right, let's read verse 17. So it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war 
and returned to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt, God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. I want to talk about how God uses detours. How God uses detours. So before I served the church that I pastored, um, just a few minutes south of here, um, I served in Michigan at a church uh, that was a part of a church plant. Um, and my wife and I were there for about five years. And anybody here from Michigan? Anybody ever been in Michigan? Great. Okay, so you know there's this thing in Michigan called the Michigan Left. Okay? So if you never experienced the Michigan Left, how the Michigan Left works is you can't really make a simple uh, left turn. You know, like in Chicago, you come up to the light and then you just, there's a little space where you can turn left. In Michigan, in most places, you have to pass through the light, do a U-turn uh, somewhere past the light, then come back around and make a right. And that is called the Michigan left. And so when asked why people are forced to make lefts that way in the state of Michigan, the answer that you will typically get is that it is for safety reasons. They give you some research and say, that this detour, this little Michigan left thing, actually makes traffic safer. I am of the opinion that it makes traffic more stupid. <laughs> Have I got a witness from Michigan, okay? Makes things more stupid because it just makes sense to me that if I'm sitting right here and that's where I wanna go and there's space and opportunity, I should just be able to make my left and you leave me alone, right? Um, that's how it is oftentimes when we run into detours. Now, all of us in Chicago know what detours are because there are two seasons in Chicago, winter and construction. So whenever something is under construction, you will see the yellow cones and you will see the horses that are set up and you will see all of the orange signs that say detour. And it's frustrating because what a detour does is it makes you go in a way that you are not accustomed to going when there's a more simple and direct way that you would rather take, right? Watch this. Sometimes life gives you detours. Just like when road authorities plan a detour, they're prohibiting or reducing access for some reason that may not make sense to you. God uses detours in our lives. Because in case you forgot, here's a reminder, uh, God knows more than, than you know. Did you know that? God knows more than us. God is a lot smarter than us. And so because of this, there are things about the road up ahead that God actually knows. There are things that are in our path that God understands. And there are things that the Lord wants to guard us from that we may not know about, but what that results in often is a detour. So in our text, the Bible says that God had already decided the destiny or the destination of the children of Israel. He had decided that he no longer wanted them to be slaves in Egypt. 
And so he said, he called Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. I have heard their cries. So I don't want them to be here any longer. I want to lead them to a land flowing with milk and honey. I want to take them from Egypt and I want to move them into Canaan. Can I remind you of something? God has a plan for you. Did you know that? Did you know that? Did you forget the lesson I just gave it before I started preaching? I said, God has a plan for you. Okay, because I could break that down about an hour if you need me to. Okay? God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your life and God has a plan for this church. God has a plan for your life and God has a plan for this church. God has a plan. God knows what he's up to. Nothing surprises God. And so God says, listen, thank you, brother. That's the kind of stuff I like to hear. You just keep on doing that. So God says, I have a plan for you. And his plan means that there is an expected end or a destination, watch this, that God is already aware of. And it doesn't matter what situation you may find yourself in. It doesn't matter what issue you're dealing with. It doesn't matter what changes you have to work through. It doesn't matter what surprises happen along the way. It doesn't matter who shows up and who leaves. It doesn't matter who pops in and who pops out. It doesn't matter whether or not something happens that you'd rather not happen. God still knows. God doesn't wake up in the morning and look at what's happening on the news and say, oh my God. God doesn't need the news. God doesn't need to look into a crystal ball because God, your Father who loves you, already knows what's coming up. That's good news, isn't it? Because we don't always know. And so because God knows what he's doing and God knows what's coming up, he leads the children of Israel along a different path. Now here's a Sunday school lesson. Here's a Sunday school question, actually. How long were the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness? 40 years? Who says 40? Do I hear 30? Do I hear 30? No. 40 years, right? Okay. Here's another question. Does anybody know how long it could have taken them to go from Egypt to Canaan? Was that? Yep, about three weeks, just a little under three weeks. Could have taken them less than three weeks to go from Egypt to Canaan. Now, how many of you know there's a big difference between 40 years and three weeks? What happens is this, you all. God knows, he says, lest the children of Israel see war and change their minds and decide to go back to Egypt, I have to give them a detour. What God says is this, I know there's something that's coming up in their future. I know the circumstances and the conditions, and they're not quite as developmentally ready as they think they are to move through these challenges in order to get to the destination that they're all happy about. And so when they move along this straight path, they'll run into some things that will make them say, we want to go backward. So rather than lead them along the straight path, 
I have to give them a detour because this detour will allow them to develop, it will allow them to grow, it will allow them to see some things that they didn't see before, it will allow them to understand some things they didn't understand before, it will allow them to lose some things they really should have lost a long time ago, it will allow them to gain some things they really should have gained a long time ago, it will allow them, watch this, to really understand how much I deeply love them and how faithful and committed I am to them. This detour will allow them to continue on the road to the destination even though it might cause a different path to unfold. So why does God allow this? Why does God allow this? It wasn't an easier route. It wasn't an easier route. But God knew that it was the route that they needed. He knew that it was the route that they needed. So what can you expect when you're facing a detour? I know that there are a couple of expectations maybe that are up in the air, maybe in your life and maybe in the life of this church, right? Can we just be real for a second? Some of you all are sitting out here and you're saying to yourself, what's really going on, okay? Everything's cruising along and then all of a sudden, a couple of events unfold and then I look up and okay, this happened, and then that happened, and then this is happening? Okay, who can I ask about that? Well, let me ask this person. Oh, they're not here? Okay, good, praise God. What? Has anybody ever felt that way? It's okay, you can be honest. What is that? It's just God up to what God does. This is actually the way that God operates. You didn't know this maybe, but this is actually the kind of stuff that God regularly does, right? God does this all the time. And so here's some things that you can expect, right? That happen when detours come your way. Detours cause us to rely on the knowledge of someone else in authority. Detours, this is point number one, detours cause us to rely on the knowledge of someone else in authority. So, um, anybody have a GPS in their car or on their phone that you use regularly? <laughs> so, yes, I know. So, there's a place I preach at, a church I preach at in the Quad Cities, about maybe two and a half hours from here. It's um, a small church there, and um, I've been going to this church now for about 10 years. So I'm familiar with the route. I'm accustomed to the route. So this one particular time that I'm driving down there, though, I usually take I-80 all the way there. There's a significant obstruction on the road, and I'm trying to figure out the rest of my route, but I don't know it, and now it's leading me through a detour, so I have to turn on GPS, right? So I turn on GPS, and it tells me what to do, and I'm like, okay, that makes sense. And then it tells me my next instruction, continue on this road for so-and-so miles. And I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Then I get on this um, dark, not-so-lit road. And, um, you know, here's something else about my, maybe this is not, maybe this doesn't apply to every single person in here. But I'm not particularly, the people I know, we're not particularly fond of driving country roads at night with no street lights. Yeah, can I, say, can I get another amen? Okay. Because usually when that happens, things don't always end well. 
Uh-huh. That's all I'll say. And so I'm driving down this road, and I'm like, okay, I don't recognize this road, and I don't, you know, you don't feel like you're going the right way. So I tap my GPS, and it says, continue on this road for 100 miles. I say, the devil is alive. The devil is alive. I turn, and I get off, I take an exit, and you know what the thing tells me? When possible, make a legal U-turn. I said, no, I'm not making a legal U-turn, right? So basically, me and the GPS have a fight until I decide that now the road that I'm taking, that I decided to take because I didn't understand what the GPS was telling me, that road is making me feel more lost than I felt when I was on the road the GPS told me to take. So finally, I gave up and I said, well, let me just do what the GPS is telling me to do. And it's almost like the GPS said, thank you, dummy, continue on this road for 100 miles. So I continued on the road and I got to where I was getting, uh, where I wanted to go, but it took me longer because of the time that I spent negotiating with the GPS. And the thing about detours is that detours force you, force you to go against the way you feel. I just really don't feel like I'm supposed to stay in this job. Continue on this road, make this exit. I really don't feel like this is what's supposed to happen. Oh, bless your heart and your kidneys too. I really don't feel like I'm supposed to take this exit. I really don't feel like I'm supposed to do this. The GPS says, see previous instruction. I really don't feel like I'm supposed to break up with her. I really don't feel like I'm supposed to break up with him. Disaster up ahead. The GPS, God's positioning system, actually knows more about the road you're on than you. And the Bible helps us understand over and over, time and time again, that the heart is deceitful and the heart is wicked and the heart will trick you. How you feel, how you think will always send you off, but sometimes you simply have to surrender to the voice that's speaking to you and do what the voice is telling you to do, even and especially when it doesn't make sense because the voice talking to you actually made sense. You'll get that one on the way home. So detours force us to trust the authority of someone smarter than us. Second point, detours navigate us around a danger or an obstruction we're unaware of. So here's another time I'm driving. I'm in Florida. There's a church planting conference I attend every year in Florida. And so I'm leaving the airport. I just got my rental car. It's super late. And I'm driving and this is a time when the GPS that I was listening to was actually wrong. So it's telling me that I should go along this road, but there are barriers on the other side of the road, but not on my side of the road. So I continue, and it says, continue on this road for 11 miles. And I'm just cruising, I'm talking to my wife on the phone. Yeah, babe, I got it, I made it to Florida. I'm just cruising, going about 65 miles an hour. And I'm cruising, 
and I slam on the brakes because there's no more road. There's like literally no more road. There's like grass and maybe a swamp. And my GPS is saying, continue on this road for another night. I'm like, no GPS, I cannot do that because there's a danger up ahead. Well, you know, sometimes the GPS doesn't update well, right? It doesn't update uh, obstructions and things that are coming up along the road. So what I had to do then is I had to call 911. And I had to call 911 and say, um, I'm out here on this road. Here's where I am. Help. Send a helicopter. Come save me. Come rescue me. These alligators are going to come out the swamp. They're going to kill me and my child will be fatherless. I get a little bit dramatic when I get lost. But the detour, the sign that was up that I breezed past was trying to tell me that there was something up ahead that was going to cause me danger. I want you to take a second and look back over your life at some of the detours that you've experienced. Can you just take a second, just play the tape back almost as if it were, I don't know, a flashback and play back all the moments in time when God did something unusual or different that you didn't think or expect or even want him to do. Now look at where you are in life right now and being able to look between that detour and where you are right now and say, God, thank you. Because the old saints would say, you kept me from dangers seen and unseen. How many of you all can say that God changed your course and caused you to navigate your way around something that would have been dangerous for you that you only saw after you navigated around it? God, thank you for getting me off that job because I would have killed somebody. God, thank you for getting me out that relationship because I saw them on Facebook recently and they're crazy. God, thank you for doing something other than what I wanted you to do because you had a greater call on my life and I could not see myself the way that you see me. And so because you navigated me around that danger, around that obstruction, now I can see your plan for my life. Now I can see who you've created me to be. Now I can see who you've ordained me to be. And God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you that you're smarter than me. I thank you that you see more than I do. I thank you that you're sovereign. I thank you that I discovered your character. I thank you that you showed me that I placed too much trust in man. I thank you that you showed me that I placed too much trust in the way that I think. Now, because of this detour, my life is safe. God, I thank you. God, I thank you. Most times when we run into detour signs in Chicago, we don't say anything that sounds like a praise. But if you follow God long enough, you'll learn that when detours come, you'll learn to just pause and say, God, I don't understand this, but I thank you. I thank you. Detours cause us to trust the voice of an authority. Detours navigate us around an obstruction or a danger, but finally, detours change direction but never the destination never the destination a detour doesn't tell you where you can go doesn't tell you where you can't go detours simply tell you you must take a different path so when God determines and when God decides here's where I want to lead you to here's where I'm inviting you to 
and detours happen in our lives, sometimes we get discouraged because we think that the detours mean that God has somehow changed his mind about our future. And that's not the case at all. God loves us. And because he loves us, detours will never take us away from the future he's ordained for us. They always bring us more deeper, more close, more connected to that future. And listen, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I make mistakes along the way. Sometimes I misinterpret the signs. Sometimes I don't start my journey when God tells me to start my journey. Sometimes my timing is off. Sometimes my behavior is off. Sometimes my sensitivity is off. Sometimes I don't pack everything that he told me to pack. But can I tell you something? No matter what detour you face, whether in your life or in the life of this church, God's grace abounds to you. I'm going to end with this story. <clears throat> so my wife and I, we have a um, one 13-month-old daughter. Her name is Sage Olivia. She's the cutest little girl you'd ever want to see. I know some of you all have children, but, you know, praise God. <laughs> and, of course, every parent says the same thing. So my daughter, when she was three months old, my wife and I decided to take her to daycare. We wanted her to develop social skills early and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we're both very busy people. And so we realized we needed the help. And so we put her in daycare and we dropped her off the first day and she didn't even cry. We cried, but she didn't cry, right? So we dropped her off. Now, generally, my wife is the one who will drop Sage off at daycare because my wife is a rather punctual morning person. Me, not so much, right? And so <clears throat> um, this one particular day, my wife had to be at work early, like in Downers Grove for training. She had to be there at seven in the morning. And so there would be no way that she could have gotten Sage to daycare that day. So she's getting ready to go to bed the night before and she's thinking to herself, she's thinking out loud, it's like, I need to figure out how I'm gonna get Sage to daycare tomorrow. How am I gonna get Sage to daycare tomorrow? And so I'm listening to her and I say, babe, you're training tomorrow, right? She's like, yeah. And I said, I can take Sage to daycare. And so she looks back in the mirror. She's, you know, packing up her hair, doing her hair and stuff. She's like, I need to figure out how I'm going to get Sage to daycare tomorrow. How am I going to get Sage? Let me see if my mama is available. And I say, babe, this is a true story. I say, babe, I can take Sage to daycare tomorrow. I have nothing to do. I'm off tomorrow. I can do it. And she says, this is how I know when she's not playing with me. She goes, Sean Douglas, Edward Marshall. Can you get Sage to daycare tomorrow on time? She has to be there by 10 o'clock. Somebody say 10 o'clock. Okay, that's important for later. I say, yes, babe, I can do that, okay? So we go to sleep, we wake up the next morning at about 6.15, okay? My wife is getting ready to leave the house. She's like, you got this? And I'm like, yeah, I got this. I'm woke, it's all good, right? And so she leaves, I'm like, I got this. What time do we have to be there? 10 o'clock. What time is it? 6.15, okay? So it takes us about 30 minutes to get from the daycare, from the house to the daycare, okay? It's about 30 minute drive. So, of course, I go, get back in the bed, fall asleep. I wake up, no listen, I wake up at about 7.30. Okay, what time did she have to be at school? 10 o'clock. How long does it take us to get there? 
Okay, so I'm good. I look at the clock, I'm like, okay, I'm good. Th three hours, so she's up, and we're playing, and we're having a ball. So then it turns into 8.10, about 8.10, okay? Now, we're still in good time. We still have over two hours, and it's half. So now, moms, raise your hands. Moms, 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 moms. Okay, moms, I committed a cardinal sin, okay? I put her clothes on that my wife laid out for her, then I fed her. <laughs> yeah, stupid, right? <clears throat> I put her clothes on, then I fed her. After I fed her, I look at the clock, it's five minutes to nine. We have plenty of time. Before I put her in the car, she spits up a river and just messes up all of her clothes, right? So now I have to take these clothes off, I have to clean her up, I have to go into her nursery, into her closet, and pick out, pick out new clothes, which I'm not good at doing this in general, but definitely not for a child. So I have to pick out a new outfit for her to wear. And so I get the new outfit on her, she's crying and she's mad, and I have to change her diaper, so I take the outfit off, change her diaper, put the outfit back on, get her ready to leave the house. Now it's 9.40. What time did she have to be at school? How far are we from the school? Okay. So at 9.45, once we're in the car, pulling off from the house, my wife calls, and she asks me a wonderful question. She asks, what time did you get her there? Husbands in the room. Husbands, where are you? Husbands, okay. Husbands, have you ever been asked by, a, by your wife a question and wondered in a split second, should you lie here? Am I going to get away with this? Am I going to get killed? What's going to happen here? Uh, so, not killed, killed. That's a different kind of kill. So, so, I say to her, I say, no, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell the truth. I say, honey, here's what happened. And so, I did not get her to school yet. So, my wife is a Christian, okay? My wife is a Christian, which means that she prays before she cusses. So she starts praying, and she says, Father, please help this fool get our daughter to school cautiously yet expeditiously. She hangs up the phone. <clears throat> so we start driving. Now, I'm taking side streets. I'm cutting little corners. I'm pushing the speed limit as much as I can go, right? I'm getting close, I'm thinking that I might actually be able to pull this off, this might happen. Jesus, I'm like, God is just is answering the Joshua prayer. He's making the sun stand still right now. I'm looking and I'm like, okay, yes, I'm gonna make it. Anybody ever seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the movie? Remember the lady who pulls right in front of, uh, uh, the pull, who's driving and in front of Ferris's dad? Okay, that lady, that same lady, pulls right in front of me and causes me to get to the school late. So now I'm there and it is 10.15. What time did she have to be there? Okay, so I'm discouraged. I walk into the, the school and I'm, I'm getting ready to tell them, well, you know, just Sage won't, won't be able to make school today. It's my fault, I was late. <clears throat> so the lady sitting at the front desk, she looks at me and I'm exasperated and she goes, first time dropping off dad? I say, yeah. She said, well, go ahead and take your daughter back to the classroom because we have a 15-minute grace period for new parents. <laughs> mm. 
Anybody from a Pentecostal experience in the room? I shouted so hard, why? Because there was grace available to me that I did not know about. With every detour that God allows that you don't know about, there's grace that you don't know about. And that grace is sufficient for your mistakes. That grace is sufficient for your fears, for your anxiety. That grace is sufficient for your hang-ups. And so, Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that even in the midst of detours, changes, the unexpected, that your grace abounds. Father, we give you glory because you are in control. And God, I pray for this congregation. I pray for this community. You love them so much. You care for them so much. For the pastors, <clears throat> Pastor Peter in his absence and his family, the leadership here, God, you love these folks so much. And they've been through a few changes and there may be some changes to come that we don't even know about. But Father, we pray that in every detour that we would hear your voice, that we would be grateful for your direction, that we would be reminded of our destiny and that in every place we would look for your grace to abound. <clears throat> there may be somebody in the room and maybe anxiety is a particularly interesting and personal narrative for you and, and maybe you're the person who says I don't like change too much and while we're in this posture of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed I just just want to offer to you maybe you take a moment and just say to God God would you speak extra special to me right now Would you let me hear your voice in a way maybe I haven't heard it? So many things are happening in my own life. I'm going through relationship changes. I'm going through financial changes, health changes. Changes in our church community. What, what's happening, God? God is in control. That's not a churchy cliche. It literally means that he knows what he's doing. And so God, speak to us. Allow us to place our trust in the leading and the direction of your Holy Spirit. And we will glorify you. And we will honor you. Just take a moment to contemplate how the grace of God may be ministering to you even in this moment.